This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking financial planning. More specifically, we're talking about the ways in which to prepare yourself before and after receiving a financial windfall. Receiving a financial windfall, such as winning the lottery, may seem glamorous to those of us who never have. But if even half of the news articles and reality TV shows covering lottery winners are accurate, then it may not be all it's cracked up to be. And I know what you're thinking. That wouldn't be me. Those people just don't know how to control themselves. And I wouldn't squander all those millions. And you might be right. Maybe you're the exception, but the reality is whether they win 500 million or 1 million, more than 70% of lottery winners lose or spend all of their winnings in under five years. Aside from giving money away to family, friends, and complete strangers, there's also the tax bill many don't plan for and the occasional lawsuit from someone you don't expect. This would also help to explain why so many lottery winners end up in worse financial position than they were before winning all those millions. Winning the lottery is a bit of a rarity. A windfall could include events such as selling a business or receiving a large inheritance. And for this group, that probably includes your company making it to to the IPO. And if you've been here long enough, maybe you just went from a negative net worth with school loans to a multimillionaire overnight. But the key point remains the same. If you don't take time to plan before and after receiving that cash, you run the risk of ending up another statistic along with those who had it and lost it. So that's what we'll be talking about today, how to actually plan for a financial windfall before it happens. My guest, Susan Bradley, is the founder of the Sudden Money Institute, which delivers training to financial professionals like me on managing the human dynamics of a big financial change. In addition to her work with SMI, Susan has served on the NFL Players Association Financial Education Advisory Board, frequently appears in the national media, including NBC, CNN, NPR, and the Wall Street Journal. And Susan is also the author who literally wrote the book on sudden money and managing a financial windfall. So with that brief introduction, welcome Susan Bradley to the Tech Money Podcast. Thanks, Malcolm. Great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time. And I breezed through your resume pretty quickly there in my intro. What else should I have included? 
There's a fundamental distinction that we have learned to make. We had all the same uh, assumptions about money and happiness and all that back in the 90s when I started this work. But Mm -hmm. what I have learned is you can't plan for many of life events. And I know that's that's bad news to financial plans because I like to plan. (laughs) But you can prepare. And there's a real difference. So when you think about, say, someone in on the, the tech side and, and maybe an, an IPO, and we've certainly worked with some companies and, and individuals, it's not the planning. Because a lot of times you don't want to plan for something that might not happen. You know, mm-hmm. some people say, I don't want to jinx it and that and that kind of thing. But you can prepare yourself for change. And for financial change, for career change, there's a way to be more agile yeah, and, and ready for whatever life throws at you, including good things. Well, it's interesting you say that because on the SMI website in big, bold letters is the phrase life is change, which, again, may seem it, it may seem a little bit obvious. Right. But what may not be as obvious is that change in life often means change in money, right? That's another thing that I know is one of you guys go to's. Can you say a bit about how we should continuously prepare ourselves for that inevitable change that comes along with life? Like, what does that phrase mean to you exactly? Well, you're right. Life is change. And if you can look at any part of life and you see that there are cycles and rhythms and then there's some abrupt disruption and, and that kind of thing. Humans are, are no different. But you know what's interesting is most of us were never brought up to manage change. Hmm. We didn't talk about it. You just, you know, you went from one level of education to the other. You got married, you moved here, you moved there, you buy a house, you go through all this change. And nobody ever said, at least to me and in general, slow down. This is a big thing. This is how to prepare for it. Okay, now you're in it. Make sure you cover this and this. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, just because you made it to that change, say that graduation or that new job or that new financial position, it doesn't mean that the waves of change are over. There are ripple effects that can be dramatic. You mentioned that with some of the lottery stuff. So knowing that life is going to change is, first of all, the next thing is to understand who are you when life is changing? What's it like for you? Some people are promotion focus. They go through the change wanting to get the best out of it. Other people are hardwired to be prevention focused and they approach it like they want to cover all their bases. They're afraid of all the bad things that can happen and they can't enjoy it until they cover all the the bad things. And obviously there's a balance. You want to know kind of how to how to do both. The way people talk to each other, like couples, family Mm -hmm. members, when life is is changing, there tends to be some hardwired behaviors, people that can usually figure out how to go from breakfast to daily activity to the evening pretty well, all of a sudden are butting heads, are avoiding each other, blaming each other, different Mm -hmm. things. It can happen. And you can actually look at this as normal human stuff is specific to an individual. And you can actually have your own kind of a checklist on, oh, yeah, when this happens, I always do these things. 
or I always need someone by my side. I, I like to do this with someone or I don't want anybody around. I like to isolate. There are ways that we go through things. If you know it in advance, you can prepare yourself and people in your life and you can do a better job. Well, you know, the way you're describing change, it gives the impression that it gives us a chance to actually prepare for this change, to be constantly preparing ourselves for change. Like I said, life is change, right? But the you wrote a book called Sudden Money, which implies that suddenly I found out I have some money. So does that necessarily change anything in that calculus? If it suddenly was a, a, a surprise, does that change anything in how I should think about life being changed? Or is it one of those things where, you know, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready kind of uh, scenario? Yeah, maybe sort of, kind of. What happens is a sudden event. It could be good. It could be a lottery. It could be an IPO. It could be an offer on a piece of property that you didn't think was worth anything. It could be lots of different things. Everyone expects that to be a good event. If it's bad, if there's a death or an accident or a big loss, they expect that to, to really be rough. And if you see an event coming, the common expectation is that, oh, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. No big deal. Mm -hmm. The big deal part of it is how you process and how people around you process, because you usually don't have these events, sudden or prepared or expected, something good or something bad. Um, you usually don't have them in isolation. You're, mm -hmm. Most of us have communities. We have family. We have extended family of neighbors with people we work with, people we care about, people we go to church with, whatever. And when these events happen, it kind of happens to a very light degree to people three or four degrees away from you, but people in your immediate circle are also going through change. Hmm. So it gets complicated because it's not just about you, particularly if you have a life partner. It changes a lot there. I can tell you some stories about that and how <laughs> children interpret their parents' windfalls. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of expectation. I think you have a young daughter who's two. Yep, I do. I would imagine her level of expectation is rather low. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, haven't met my child. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But drop a zero behind that too. Yeah. And if you had a, a large amount of money come into your life, chances are it would feel like it came into her life too. Pay attention to all the, the people around you. And when is sudden means that you didn't have any anticipation or preparation time, bam, it just happened. So yeah, there is a difference between an expected event and a mm -hmm. sudden event. But underneath it still is the way we are hardwired to communicate and manage trauma and stress, and which then determines how we make choices or avoid choices, hmm. how we can think long-term versus short-term. You know, the everybody talks about the amygdala hijack, that part of your brain that when it's there, there's some evidence of, or to you, evidence of trauma or mm -hmm. threat. You go into a hyperdrive that isn't really well-suited for anything but avoiding immediate danger, even if that immediate danger is not real. 
So your your good executive thinking and processing, long-term thinking goes offline. Hmm. Not well, in a bit of a different direction, but you, you made me think about this just by using the phrase windfall. Is there a particular dollar amount that meets the criteria to be considered a windfall, a, a financial windfall, or is it more subjective than that? The way I've, I've noticed that, and you can imagine I've gotten this question pretty regularly for yeah. about 25 years now, <laughs> and the answer really doesn't change. It's an amount that is bigger than you're used to. Mm-hmm. So it could be $50,000. I. Mm-hmm. I saw some really troubling stuff happen happening with medical settlements when people received like 200, 250,000, which is probably enough to take care of some things in their life, but you're not going to live off it for the rest of your life. It restructures for some people who they are. Self-identification can shift. And that can be pretty disastrous for relationships. Well, I mentioned in my intro that your organization helps train financial professionals to work with folks who have recently come into large sums of money at once, whatever large means to them. But why does that require a special type of training? Like, what's the difference between working with a client who has maybe $200,000 or $2 million in assets versus a person who has $20 million in assets, let's say. Well, again, maybe it's, it's not the amount, but it's, it's how it was received. Right. Mm -hmm. And financial planners, and I'm a CFP from the early eighties and we're trained in a traditional sense to be sort of sequential. We assess the situation, the age and capacity and expenses and assets and income and all that stuff. And we understand where someone wants their life to go. And we figure out how to use the money to help them get there. If they make mistakes with the money, it's generally the client's fault. I always heard stories about, you wouldn't believe how this client blew it. And I started thinking like, how about you? Did you blow it? (laughs) You know, has it anything to do with the advice or the way you gave the advice? The numbers can be straightforward, but I wasn't trained in how to work with people in these situations so that I could help them slow it down, the decision-making process, give them framework for making just one good decision at a time. Sometimes there's a lot that goes along with it. Well, like medical settlements, there's this suspended period of time from the injury and the likelihood or the entitlement of money, and then the actual receipt of the money. Mm-hmm. And during that time, people can royally screw up. If you look at the NFL and you look at these guys, these guys are not stupid. They are really smart and they're disciplined and they have to be able to follow instructions and guidance, right? But their celebrityness and their lack of peers, we call it peerlessness or social enemy in their communities, sets them apart from everyone. And then the decisions or the choices or the demands flood in. Hmm. And it's really hard to be establishing yourself in a competitive, even within the team, a competitive environment 
with this new money coming in and all the expectations. And by the way, they were getting paid really for, uh, they got 17 paychecks uh, a year plus. They had these different bonus things uh, later on in the year, like March or whatever. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's contracts and stuff. But for for the most part, 17 paychecks. I mean, how many people can run their life well if they got paid just over 17 straight weeks? Yeah. It's crazy. So you have to you have to build in process. It isn't just, oh, you have money, great. You know, money is good and more is better is what people used to say. I guess they still do, but they haven't met me. So they still say it. The guys in and the women in the IPO world have the financial planners. It was interesting. We were working with a company. I'm not going to say who it is, but there was a well-publicized event going on. One of the hard things that the financial planners, they weren't people we trained, but I was asked to come in and and talk about this a little bit. They expected a a liquidity of the the shares and sometimes required, sometimes not. But the way they get paid is by putting the money into investment accounts and having a percentage, right? Mm -hmm. Assets under management. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people in the IPO world they they earned it and they got there and they're just busy. They don't have time to think about it. Sure. They're on to the next deal. Maybe their partner or family members want them to uh, scale up in life, but they re- they generally are people that are all in with their career. So it's really frustrating for financial planners because they couldn't add any value. They didn't know how to talk to them, and he, the the money was going to stay in in inside that company, it, you know, in a um, concentrated uh, form. Well, let's let's stay there for a second because a large part of our audience comes from the tech community. So when you started down that road, it it, it made me think about this because you know sudden money often comes from owning shares in a startup that ultimately has a big liquidity event, such as an IPO, like you just mentioned, or, you know, an acquisition by a competitor or whatever. But I think it makes this situation a bit unique when you compare it to many of the other scenarios we've been talking about before, where startup employees often take these roles with the expectation that those roles uh, are going to come with shares ownership in the company that will eventually be worth a whole lot. Right. Which means they have a very long runway to prepare for that inevitable windfall. Does that change anything in the calculus of how you develop your recommendations? It could, but I don't usually see it. Okay. It's not eyes on the prize, the the big lump sums. Mm -hmm. It's getting there. And getting there is usually pretty intense. Um, again, it's a competitive environment with with other jobs. Think about areas that are tech concentrated areas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of noise, people talking about it all the time, right? And, and you know, there's a lifestyle that people have built while they're on that long runway, and frequently it suits them, at least for a while. So there seems to be this big internal pause, like, great, now I've got it. They want to lock it in. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that they have it. Maybe they have to decide if they're going to sell shares or keep or however it goes, exercise. But once they make those decisions, 
they frequently are not ready to engage in ongoing financial planning, like someone who is, you know, a C-suite executive who is on a, a regular track for increases and bonuses and that. One of the other things, though, is how do we have conversations in the financial planning world with these big conversations about what really is important? What's the why? What needs to be protected? What's kind of sacred in somebody's life? What, what are they... What do they want to keep an eye on as they go through maybe a fast-paced life and set of decisions? We always want to know what is it? What is it in their life that needs to not just be protected, but maybe nurtured and and grown? And that, that could be something absolutely not financial. Um, You're saying if I'm, if I'm the person who's come into that, sudden windfall IPO scenario, it sounds like you're saying one of the most important things to do first is to figure out that, that why question. Yeah. 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 And, you know, answers kind of go in, in general categories. The answers kind of go towards my relationship, my marriage, my health, something to do with family, something to do with their skill ability, things that are really fundamental to them. And Mm -hmm. When you're making financial decisions, knowing that that part is taken care of, and what does that really mean? Money can be stressful in marriages, right? Or partnerships. Mm-hmm. You, you can have money, but you can have two absolutely different expectations. I remember one couple, he cashed out and they had the the kind of big money that it seemed like someday could happen and mm-hmm. there they were and they really thought that they had prepared and they were on the same page they were going to travel and they were going to change something about their oh that was their garden it was like a big deal their their kind of i don't know what they were doing some kind of special gardening farming kind of thing And it turns out that he wanted to travel around the world for like a couple of years and not Mm -hmm. stop, you know, live in places for a month or two and figure out what's next, just high-end vagabond kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to go for two or three weeks because (laughs) the the farm and the garden was important. And maybe once a year, they'd go on a a nice long vacation for weeks, not, not months and years. And they actually thought they were on the same page because hmm. they hadn't had time to really talk about it. Your book refers to something called the decision free zone. Yep. Is this sort of what you're describing here or is that something different? Yeah. Expectations is obviously looking forward. What do you expect to be happening? Maybe in the, some in the short term, but overall, like give me, give me three year picture, two year, one year, five year, 10 year mm-hmm. kids. So what, what does this life pivot mean to you? What do you hope? And you do it with your partner, if you have partners or other stakeholders, and you compare. A financial planner can create a little structure with that. So you're really capturing everything and you can have productive conversations. Doesn't mean everybody is right and wrong, but you can usually blend or you can understand some of the trade-offs. So you're not just flying blind and 
and people don't have a lot of noise in their head that they don't know how to share. Yeah. The decision-free zone could come from that, but it also can come from just having a big conversation about what people think they should be doing. What's on your mind now? What What is somebody telling you you have to do? What are you telling yourself you have to do? What do you want to do? So again, it's a listening exercise. The client is talking because it's about their life. They're the expert. Mm-hmm. The financial planner is helping identify things. So I would listen to you, for instance, and I'd say something like, so Malcolm, let me see if I can capture what I heard. I've written down a few words here, but let me make sure that I really am tracking with you. So we would, you would listen to me writing things down and talking and you could say, yeah, I know I said that, but I didn't mean that. (laughs) Uh, I meant this. So, you know, you just kind of figure it out. And then you have a list of all kinds of things. You can scatter it or make a list, whatever. And then we put things into one of three categories. This is the decision-free zone mm-hmm. based on urgency and timelines. So now, soon, and later are the lines. And now items are urgent. They're timely. Something regrettable would happen, like you would miss exercising your options or mm-hmm would miss a tax deadline or something. So you have a, a, a date. And then soon is everything else that's important, like a lot of the planning and scenarios you might be running in cash flows and all that. But it doesn't have to be done right away. Yeah. And you can break the soon then once you've got the now stuff done, the soon pieces, some of them move up to now so you can determine priority. Later items are things that feel important, but they just can't be addressed at this moment. You know, maybe you need more information, but you you want to be heard that that that's going to be important. That reminds me of, unfortunately, it reminds me of being widowed where, you know, I know this whole time we've been talking about lottery or or IPO or something like that, that is a little bit more glamorous, but one of the more common occurrences of a windfall, right, would be something like a divorce or being widowed. And what that's making me think about is I actually have a friend who is a, a financial planner who only works with folks who have recently been widowed. And one of the things that Uh, she has told me a few times is that she always has to tell people just don't do anything like take six months, take 12 months, whatever that time is after this has happened, because this is a very, excuse me, traumatic event. This is a big shock to the system. Don't do anything for six months. Don't do anything for 12 months. Don't make any big decisions. You don't absolutely have to make, like you just said, paying taxes, for example, that obviously has a timeline to it that You got to do what you got to do, but everything else can wait until you've had a chance to kind of clear your head and really think about what you want to do next. And that's kind of what I'm gathering in what you're describing, which is, you know, a completely different situation, but a similar tactic. Yeah, you're you're spot on with that. But I take exception to the the timelines because I was brought up in the profession thinking widows need a year and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, it makes sense to take some time because you're, you're just, you're just not ready. There's uh, numbness, there's, you have to absorb what has happened. 
and make decisions. And you hear all the time about widows being taken advantage of because mm-hmm. they're not thinking clearly. So there's something in between just waiting and processing. And widows frequently, uh, but not all the time, some of them really can get a ton of stuff done and they have to, and then they crash. Mm -hmm. So you have to know the client. But for the most part, what happens is you, you want to give them a safe space to be processing and, and talking to you about what's going on. A decision-free zone is critical. And one of the things we do with it is we help write a statement that a widow can use to, to address people who want things, whether they want them for good or they're predatory. Mm-hmm. Um, a way to say, I'm in this, I'm in this process with someone who really gets me. We're not going to make any decisions for at least a year, maybe two. But when I get there, I'd be happy to think about what you're saying. I just can't do it right now. I have mm-hmm. no idea where I am. So that everyone needs to have a way to ask everybody to get on board with this pause and well, have a leader in it. Sort of to that end, one of the common refrains that I've heard from friends and even clients who have experienced large windfalls themselves, both expectedly and unexpectedly, is that they have a hard time knowing which professionals to trust, right? So so turning it a little bit away from family and friends and those folks in your corner, but more so trying to find the folks who do what you and I do for a living, which makes perfect sense to me. I will you know, concede that there are certainly those in our industry who are just in it for themselves. Like you mentioned, the folks who are looking just for some assets to manage. And if that doesn't exist, then you know the conversation isn't worth it. But what advice would you give to that person who has suddenly come into money and is trying to sort through all of the different advisor websites and referrals from friends and colleagues trying to you know narrow down their search and ultimately land on a person or a small group of people who they ultimately are going to trust for years to help them make solid financial decisions? Yeah. Yeah, it is hard. And if you went by websites, they frequently say the same thing <laughs> in other ways. Beautiful. The, the the copy out there for whether it's a big wirehouse or mm-hmm. uh, a solo practitioner, we kind of get a how to say to somebody, come to me, you'll be safe. Mm-hmm. I know what to do. Um, but if if I'm hiring someone or you're hiring someone and I'm in a state that I recognize is not my norm, it could be I'm I can't handle anything or I'm invincible. I feel like I can do everything. You know, there's a spectrum there. Um, you want to find someone who listens to you, someone who you feel comfortable talking to about things that go beyond, you know, how much do you have here and how much do you need there? That conversation, someone who seems to get how you're you're processing and you're thinking. There was a story just recently, uh, a woman left a firm, she was a second chair. And so the lead planner is there, uh, a client is is sitting there and it's a, a new prospect and there's a lot of money in cash and the lead planner asks her why is there so much money in cash 
And she didn't really answer clearly. And he said, really, that's like too much money for someone in your circumstances. And she started to tear up. And she said very quietly, I have a son with substance abuse, and I never know what I'm going to need to do to bail him out of something. And she was sad and ashamed and crying. And he said, oh, okay, I get that and moved on. So the woman that's telling me the story left that firm and she said it just broke her heart. And she called that woman and just said, I'm so sorry. We should have been talking to you about this. And do you want to tell me anything about it? Um, so there's, there are different ways that you can, you can, give an environment to people without expecting what they're supposed to show up as and just let them be hmm. and and stay with them and ask some questions. You don't know the answers for most people when they come in. If they ask you a, te a technical question about distribution of a qualified asset before 59 and a half, you can give them the technical side of it. But that doesn't mean that they should or shouldn't do it. So we have to be careful. Technical expert, yes. Human expert, no. The client's the expert. It's really hard to break yourself from being the expert in all things. Fair enough. Well, my last question actually, or I should say likely, has nothing to do with SMI at all, right? So you can actually <laughs> sit back in your seat and relax a little bit for this one. But let's say for a moment, you never discovered your passion for teaching other people to prepare for financial windfalls, but money wasn't a factor in your decision-making at all. What do you think you'd be doing right now? Oh, that's such an interesting question. I was an artist before I started this. Hmm, okay. uh, commercial artist. I'm not like a great artist, but I could dream up things. I could manufacture them and people would buy or sell them through their stores. And that time that I was doing it, I was in what Mihai Chicks sent Mihai talks about the flow. I had no idea that hours were going by until it was so dark. I had to turn the lights on. Hmm. I like that. I like that feeling. I, I'm not an artist at all right now because I'm afraid I'll fall down the rabbit hole and not come out. <laughs> and I wasn't that good. I just enjoyed it. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I certainly appreciate you making time to do this, Susan. This has been great. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and or SMI after this goes live? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I welcome it. Um, suddenmoney.com, www.suddenmoney.com. And I'm also a Susan at suddenmoney.com. And, you know, Malcolm, we have a lot of things out there now every month for free, mm -hmm. just for people who want to tap into this kind of thinking. Uh, one that's coming up is that dreaming is part of financial transitions planning, how to help your clients dream. Hmm. So, you know, the, it's out there. We welcome people to drop in. It doesn't cost anything. We just like to spread the, the experiences and the lessons that we've learned. Awesome. Well, on that upbeat note, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir? This has been a fantastic podcast. Susan, thank you so much for being here. I really hope one day I need your services. 
<laughs> don't know how it'll happen. I'm not wishing, you know, death upon anybody in my family that I don't know. Uh, but uh, might be kind of fun to go through your program. Uh, again, thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for being here. Malcolm, of course, thank you for facilitating this and bringing her on the show. And for you listening audience, thank you for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, leave a review as this will help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.